Hello, welcome to I Love Rock and Roll. I'm Ken Krantz. I have uh, I have Chris behind the board today, coming to you from Red Bank, New Jersey. Uh, I don't have a co-host today. Uh, no, no chip. What? Yeah, but we do have a we do have a guest. We have a guest coming on. Actually, Eric, the the way that this worked was uh, um, I'm terrible at introductions. By the way. <laughs> um, our guest is uh, comedian Eric Bergstrom. Hey, how's it going? How are you? Uh, thank you for doing this. Um, no, thank you for having me. Yeah, you're. Uh, he's a funny comedian. He's been on. Uh, you've been on Colbert. You have a half hour Comedy Central special. Um, but you also you made my job easy today, which is nice because um, I actually uh, I had today blocked off to do an episode. And I reached out to a few different comics, and uh, nobody could do anything. So I was going to, I was thinking of just releasing like an old episode that we haven't put out yet this week. And yeah. then Eric reached out to me yesterday saying that uh, you'd love to do the show sometime. Sure, absolutely. And I asked who you could talk about for an hour, and uh, you said David Bowie, which uh, made this very easy for me. Yeah, I mean, it came down to David Bowie and a little bit sad to say Weird Al. <laughs> that is, those are like the only two musicians that I kind of like know uh, maybe 45 minutes about. No, I know, uh, I, I I guess I've just followed both quite a bit, so. That is, uh, that is all over the spectrum. Yeah, I, uh, much like myself. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't uh, I wasn't leading you there for the record um, uh, but um, I was like oh that's great because um, I, I don't even have to prepare that much to, to talk about Bowie so I was asking you your favorite era of Bowie and uh, you said uh, probably early Bowie yeah, definitely early Bowie. Uh, I mean, my my favorite album is uh, Hunky Dory. Uh, I guess what's weird about that is my like growing up as a kid, I, I've been to Bowie concerts uh, maybe like six or so, just because he was a diehard fan. But it wasn't until I guess my freshman year of college that I actually so I had heard a lot of albums, but it wasn't until my freshman year of college. Uh, they actually heard Hunky Dory mm -hmm. and I was at, when, when I heard it at first I was driving and it came on um, like somebody had left the album in the car I was in on the CD changer and I almost I, I didn't recognize that it was Bowie when I first heard it I just thought it was a beautiful uh, album and I like pulled it out put it back in and I was really surprised that it was Bowie uh, and I listened to the rest of it, and uh, I mean, to this day, it sticks. My favorite album. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hunky Dory is. Um, I think it's. I think there's a lot of people that would say it's their favorite Bowie album. Um, and it was uh, depending on what kind of Bowie fan you are, it was either his third or fourth album. And because of the mod era, that one you're just saying. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about. So he he technically released 
a uh, self-titled album in 1967 just called David Bowie. And it is filled with um, – it's filled with songs I think that you wouldn't recognize as David Bowie. Although you were ju- you were just saying off air that you actually like so that, that you knew the album and you liked some of them. I don't know that I well I'll have to look again, but I I know I definitely know some of the songs and he has one song uh, just called "Love You Till Tuesday," which I think is hilarious and actually a really catchy song. Uh, it was during I don't know it was like his weird like mod phase. Uh, but what, let me see how it. Where is the particular? Oh, it's got. Um, it was re- it was released in '67. It is a yeah. very young photo of him on the cover. Yeah, the what is it? Love you till Tuesday. It just has the lyric. Uh, it's like a very sweet, loving song, but it goes, "Oh, beautiful," or the refrain is, "Oh, beautiful baby, I was very lonely till I met you on a Sunday. My passions are never ending. My passions never ending, and I'll love you till Tuesday." <laughs> so it's like uh, I don't know. He's like a mod, like uh, Hepcat in it. Yeah. And it's, it has lyrics like, who's that hanging from the apple tree? Uh, don't mind me. It's just me. Like, <laughs> what the hell does that mean? He had another – he has another early song, um, not on this album, but that he, he started – like he started doing again uh, in the 90s. Uh, can't help thinking about me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that, that's kind of like that Ringo Starr song. Have you heard that his song, uh, I'm Great? <laughs> where he just, where Ringo Starr starts out, where he's like, hey, I was wandering around high school as a kid. Uh, lo and behold, I'm great. And then I was like out dating and girls all love me. I'm great. And now I, uh, then I was in the greatest band in the, in the world because I'm great. And now I'm like, still performing and a dad and my family loves me because I'm the greatest. <laughs> <laughs> that Ringo Starr, he might have a chance. I don't know. Um, that's, I, but don't you like, don't you feel like, you know, when people are telling you how great they are, it, they usually don't think they're that great. Oh, he's screaming inside. I just know that that, I mean, if he didn't write that himself, that's kind of amazing also. He, he are you saying that Ringo Starr's a damaged man? <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying that um maybe uh maybe replacing a drummer named Pete Best did something to him. Oh, that's like, oh this guy thinks he's the best. <laughs> he's Pete well, Great. I'm great. <laughs> I'm great though. Ringo was a star. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe it's 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 <laughs> the album. Um, what is it? Yeah, his self-titled album also has the song "Uncle Arthur." Yes, called being pretty funny too, where it's just about his like weird nerdy uncle, <laughs> just nonchalantly celebrating how weird his uncle is. Um. I hope I got to listen to it. Is it like creepy weird? No, it's oh, kind of good. sweet. 
Um, here. So, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I mean, we just talked yesterday. Otherwise, I might be a little bit more prepared. But the, uh, oh, my God. Maybe it's a little creepy. I mean, there is a <laughs> I mean, there, there right. are a couple of bridges where it's uh, Uncle Arthur likes his mommy. Uncle Arthur still reads comics. Uncle Arthur follows Batman. And then later it's Uncle Arthur vanished quickly. Uncle Arthur and his new bride. Uncle Arthur follows Sally. Uh, I don't know. I think that sounds very sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I, I, you know what? I got to go back and listen. So I've, I've given that album, uh, I've turned it on once or twice in my life and, uh, it's, I probably haven't even given it a shake in 20 years, but for whatever reason, a lot of Bowie fans don't even consider it like, uh, like an official Bowie release. Yeah. It's not like it's canon. It's definitely one where it's like. But I, every time I hear Love You Till Tuesday, like if I'm in a coffee or sh- shop or something, I feel like I, I'm delighted and I feel like it's a little secret that I'm glad they found it. Yeah. Yeah, there are there are some songs from that era which have uh, resurfaced um, um, in the heat of the morning, popped up a lot in, in his later career. And I've heard uh, I've actually heard other bands cover that. Um, but so for whatever, yes. Yeah, so people like, if you listen to this first album, it's not like you're getting a blueprint of what's to come for, for Bowie. Um, yeah, he does. It's not like he had, uh, assimilated T-Rex yet. No, 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 no. That's, that's still a few years away. Um, and I'm I'm glad you brought up T Rex because everybody credits Bowie for everyone thinks Bowie like invented glam, but uh, it it probably was T Rex. Yeah, and we all know that T Rex ripped off our uh, favorite musician Gary Glitter. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Glitter's name has come up here uh, on this show a few times, and. Um, do, do you it's, all, it's, uh, it's never did well. You do a fun episode on uh, South Asian prisons. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite band. <laughs> what happened? What a Gary Gary Glitter. So Gary Glitter was this glam rocker. He did. Um, what's his famous song? Oh, rock uh, and roll. Parts one and two. Isn't that it? It's like every sporting event you've ever been to in your life. Yeah, he looks like a middle school gym coach that just was like, hey, glam could be a thing. <laughs> oh, no. I just looked him up. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. He's, 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 not a, he's not a good guy. Oh. Um, yeah, he look, or he looks like, uh, oh, yeah, it, as in bad news. He, was it, he looks like, uh, was it Red the Dad from that 70s show with a big wig? <laughs> <laughs> he, he does a little bit. <laughs> So um, Bowie Bowie follows up uh, that that first album with uh, Space Oddity, which um, came out in I want to say sixty nine. Yeah, it comes out in uh, nineteen sixty nine, and uh, of course it has the song Space Oddity, which is like his first hit. 
And um, in the UK, when they show uh, when they show the moon launch from America, they're playing Space Oddity on television. So that becomes Wait, the, first, the first time. That's what happened. I believe so. Yeah. Wow. Um, which is which is help is which is what helped make the song a hit. That's crazy because that that also means, yeah, it makes it a hit, and he's like in the public lexicon forever. Yeah. Right. Well. Yeah. The 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 TV footage in in the UK. Yes. Yeah. Um, he's still, he, he's still pretty unknown. Yeah. Over... I mean, to start out as an unknown, like that's doing like, uh, like a, any one hit wonder, uh, if he had been that to just throw that in there for some like footage like that. Right. I guess they just made word association. Right. Right. And it yeah. was really, it, it, it was, um, I but guess it was a Chumba Wumba song is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it could have. Um, I mean, it was really like a novelty hit. Yeah. You know, it was like, oh, he's just cashing in on this space craze. Um, I'm sure people didn't listen to it thinking that it was going to that it was going to launch this career, uh, you know, a few years later into the stratosphere. Um but that first that first album, the first Space Oddity album, I think outside of Space Oddity, probably not a lot of songs uh, a casual listener would know. But there are some songs on there that start to uh, sort of predict where where he's going. Yeah, there are some things where it's like uh, like memory of a free festival mm-hmm. kind of just so long it kind of just feels like a weird long jam song to me yeah yeah they, they it almost gets like they're chanting there at the end which yeah. um which resurfaces on the diamond dogs album uh you know where he's where he starts playing around with chanting um yeah, memory of a free festival too. Like back then, that there was it was a seven and a half minute song. You didn't get a lot of those. Yeah, there's a, what is it? There's a memory of a free festival. There's two. There's two songs with that, right? What is that? The or is that the one with? Because I know there's portions of that, but then what's the one with the refrain? The sun is shining. Yeah, that's that's memory of a free festival. Okay, cool. No, it's such a long song with like some portions. That I think I'm dividing it into other, a couple of songs. Yeah. In my head. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, it did. It sort of has different parts to it. And again, he explores that on Diamond Dogs again when you get into like Sweet Thing and Candidate. And um, so he, he started. Uh, I think this is, is where, where you first start seeing like the kernels of, of what he's going to become. And yeah, no. I'm just curious. So you, you said you said that your dad was a big Bowie fan. Yeah, but mainly into, I mean, all of it, but mainly into Tin Machine by the time uh, I was a kid. Um, but like, that's that was the one thing where it's like, I, I was a little bit annoyed by it, but I saw by Tin Machine, but all of the other stuff I thought was fun. And then the older I got, the more I appreciated it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tin Machine was him, like, trying to, he'd just come off of 
being um, one of the biggest pop acts of the decade. Yeah. You know, he's, he's coming off Tim, – Tim Machine comes out in 89, I believe. So he had just had uh, uh, Let's Dance um, tonight and Never Let Me Down back to back to back. The albums weren't uh, critical successes necessarily, but he enjoyed his biggest commercial success as yeah. an artist during the eighties. I mean, there there's a part there in the in the first half of the eighties after Let's Dance comes out where uh, he is every bit as big as Michael Jackson and Madonna. But he also, I mean, was it that's the era where. Was it Tin Machine where you started to dress? I was telling you that you started to dress like a like a coked up uh, televangelist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well, how do you mean? Yeah, like Tin Machine's well, the, when the, he started the, wearing the, suits. The, the quarter, yeah, just I remember there was a while where he was just wearing white suits, and I don't know if that's like the. I don't thin think white that was. Yeah, stuff. I think that was probably the thin white Duke. That's that's that sounds more seventies. With like a golden pompadour. That was yeah. That was uh, that was Let's Dance. Yeah, there there's one from that era. There is a disco medley that he does with Cher of his hits. Yes, where he does like five songs in a row that I absolutely love. Also, yeah, yeah, I've seen that, and you, he's all coked up. Yeah, he is. I you know I do have to credit him for having the ability to uh, not necessarily be a trend whore, but like be someone that like actually like does know how to attach himself to trends and kind of make them his own. Yes, Madonna seems to do a similar thing. I don't see a lot of musicians that have had the staying power to do that. Yeah, well, I think it's because they did that. That, that they were able to have such long careers. Yeah. I think it was it was weird, actually. I was reading about Hunky Dory, and Hunky Dory has um, some of the best David Bowie songs ever put to record. I agree. Right? It's got uh, – it's got changes, which everybody knows, and uh, was was a was a moderate hit here in America. It has uh, life on Mars, which yeah. has taken on a life of its own after all these years, and it's probably um, one of the best examples of how amazing his voice is. Um, and so many people have covered life on Mars, but it also has. Um, this album's all over the place because it's like folky, but then some of it uh, rocks really well, like the song Queen Bitch, which... Yeah, which is what, their uh, Velvet Underground kind of tribute? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's, yeah, it's sort of like about Lou Reed. You have songs on here that are, that are, uh, this is, he's in America now. Uh, he he had, he's coming off the man who sold the world, which again critical success, not a commercial success. But now he's in America and he's he's being exposed to American trends. So you've got um, you have a song about Lou Reed. You have song for Bob Dylan. Yeah, there's well, I I was reading about how um, 
like right before this album, he was feeling like he was all washed up. He was eight years in. He had just parted with, uh, I guess, like his power manager, who was his pal. And yeah, stuff. Uh, Tony DeFreeze. Yeah, and he felt like he was just uh, not giving up, but he felt really he was down. Uh, he was in the weeds. Uh, and then, yeah, coming to the U.S., seems like it revitalized him. And it is, it's interesting that there are like, Kind of like they're true songs, the Andy Warhol uh, song for Bob Dylan and uh, the Queen Bitch, but like they're also kind of critical uh, of each of them. Yeah, you you were saying that yesterday. So how do you, how do you think? I mean, okay, I mean, like with the the song Andy Warhol, he just talks about uh, was it, he thinks about paint and he thinks about blue, and you couldn't imagine anything more boring than that. <laughs> Yeah, and then the, and then I guess the song for Bob Dylan is like, uh, "Hear you, Robert Zimmerman," and uh, I got a song for you about a. And he, he's singing about like, "Hey, I remember Bob Dylan." Do you? That's my read of it. Yeah, I would have to. I'd have to go back and look at the lyrics. It was right after Bob Dylan got a motorcycle accident and was kind of of the public eye after being huge. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's when he says. Uh... I wrote this song for you about a strange old man named Dylan with a voice like sand and glue. Yeah. I love yeah. that line. Yeah. Um, I and mean, I get how that, how that wouldn't be terribly uh, complimentary, but. Um, it was no, but I think it, it is still a tribute. Yeah. And also as. Um, I mean, he definitely, I mean, as you can see, he liked Andy Warhol so much that was that, uh, that film Basquiat, he played Andy mm-hmm. Warhol. Yeah. And then I've heard that uh, Andy Warhol hated the song. <laughs> well, uh, that would make sense. <laughs> like they, they met each other and Warhol thought that uh, Bowie was too weird, even for him, I think is... And he he didn't he didn't like the song. I mean, I presume that uh, Andy Warhol only listened to Klaus Nomi and Paint Drying. <laughs> You're probably right about that. Um, Weird segue. Uh, Andy Warhol. Uh, have you ever seen his shoe illustrations? Like his early career stuff. No. Uh, beautiful. Weirdly, uh, I like them way more than the screen prints. Worth checking out. But tiny segue. Uh, go on. <laughs> um, so, so I started to say, so Hunky Dory is, we'll call it, you know, Bowie's third album and his record label RCA already is not promoting it that well because they're concerned that he keeps changing musical styles. Yeah, it's, I saw that because of the song, uh... Because I guess the hit was changes, right. so it's ironic that they're worried about more changes. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So they they don't know. Uh, they're not totally sure how to promote it. They don't know what to call Bowie. Um, you know, he he'd come off of the Man Who Sold the World, which is a pretty straightforward rock album for yeah. for the most part. Uh, written on guitar with the great Mick Ronson, who uh, 
who who should we should do an episode just on Mick Ronson's career. Uh, he, he was a blonde um, fellow, right? Yeah, yeah. He was this guitar yeah. player that was uh, he was um, he was as good uh, a '70s rock guitar player as as just about any of the other heavyweights that came out of that era. Um, but they uh, he leaves the band. Uh, Mick Ronson left the band after the recording of "The Man Who Sold the World." And then uh, they had some kind of falling out. But then Bowie writes this album on the piano and then yeah. gets Mick Ronson back. He's like, listen, I can't make this album without you. Um, so he, he gets his band back together. Um, and then just less than a year after Hunky Dory comes out, uh, Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders for Mars come out, and then that's it. And then Bowie's launched into the stratosphere. Um, but I was surprised to read that most of the album, most of the songs for both albums were written in the sessions for Hunky Dory. Like he had, he had 30, he had, he wrote 30 something songs for the album, uh, then made Hunky Dory. And then took the leftover songs and started crafting Ziggy Stardust, which really? yeah, which I was I I was surprised to hear that I was surprised to read that because uh, the two albums are so different, very much so. And um, yeah, I thought you took a with the recordings of this stuff. I thought you only took like a under a month to make Hunky Door. Like he he had. The songs, he, was, he had been working on them, but I think they recorded all of them in like two weeks or something crazy like that. Yeah. Yeah, which which is uh, – which I think that's sort of typical for how he did most of his albums. Um, but you go through Hunky Dory and then you listen to Ziggy Stardust and then like I, you try and figure out like what on Ziggy Stardust would have even fit on Hunky Dory. Yeah, you know, like what what would have the fact that those batches of songs were written at the same time for for one album? It's it's just it's uh, it's crazy to me because they are they're such different albums. Um, yeah, I think I mean maybe Soul Love could fit on there, but Soul it's all Love maybe five years. Yeah, but even then. Let's see. But yeah, then I, Ziggy Stardust was also, a, you know, a concept album. It was sort of like, uh, I don't want to say rock opera, but it was sort of like a glam concept album where all the songs tied together loosely. Do you know how he became aware of T-Rex or even if that was his, I mean, that probably was one of his influences, but was that like his main glam influence? Uh, I would think so. I, well, I know him and Mark Bolin were were good friends from the early yeah. days. Huh. So um, he probably just saw what they were doing. You know, it's you touched on this before. Um, he was good at, and I, I read an interview with Bowie once where he actually said this. Like he 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 was never a trendsetter. He never considered himself a trendsetter, but he was good at at figuring out what the next trend would be. Like he would hear something and be like, oh, I think this is this is the direction music's going. So let me 
let me figure out how to do this. So he he wasn't he wasn't coming up with, uh, you know, even. Um, I think he always had inspiration. It, it wasn't him, you know. He, he didn't invent glam rock, but he uh, he figured out how to take it to the next level. He figured out how to take it out of out of the UK. Yeah, I think that's certainly true. The um, like how to amplify it, and uh, was it like I mentioned? He would hop all over the place. Was it? I mentioned Klaus Nomi. Do you remember that SNL? Uh, set he did with the weird like puppet outfit. Yes. Oh God, I just watched this recently. It's it's hard to find. It's hard to find on YouTube. It, it can be. And I just saw. Um, was it the Brooklyn Museum? They had a big Bowie exhibit. So I saw like the original uh, Klaus Nomi, like that weird like triangle uh, tuxedo thing they have that they put him in. Uh, but the SNL thing when they're performing and they do the. Uh, did you ever? What was it called? Wienerville on Nickelodeon? I don't know. Where they do weird little puppet arms and stuff like that. It was like that. Uh, and there was even some like green screen giant head stuff. Yes. Uh, it was, I mean, it was really revolutionary. And, uh, but part of that was he took like Klaus Nomi and Klaus Nomi's like, uh, was it main backup singer uh, or contemporary? And, just had them as backup singers for and, and took like the whole look and then yeah. Bowie just did his own songs and it's amazing but it uh it isn't again it's not Bowie it's just like uh him seeing what the next fun trend is and right. things right. that are experimental uh and I I respect that uh watching the close Nomi documentary I think they were a little crestfallen where it's like what it's not gonna be Klaus Nomi style forever like uh it was it's cool though it's definitely worth watching yeah i would i would the uh oh the um you're talking about the snl clip yes yes it's why actually i found it on um and close nomi is worth looking up absolutely too. yeah i i found it on uh hulu because hulu has or, or maybe it was peacock it's hulu or peacock has uh uh somewhat of an snl um they don't have like every episode, but they've got a ton of episodes. And I went as far back into the seventies and found uh, found the Bowie one. Do you know who the host was that night? Oh God, um, it's so funny. I just watched it, um, and now I can't remember. No, I don't remember who the host was. I think I fast forwarded through most of it. Yeah, I usually just catch the to to get to the songs. But it was, uh, yeah, it, it was it was uh, green screen technology before many people were doing that, and uh, it Martin is Sheen. Martin Sheen. Yeah, that's right. There was um, there was an apocalypse now. There was a terrible apocalypse now sketch uh, <laughs> that I remember sitting through. Um, but uh, that's also Bowie in I think all of his like coked out glory that's like mid 70s when he was just living off of coke and red peppers or whatever yeah. the line yes is. yeah 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 storing store we've 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 gone through this storing his uh urine in the refrigerator because uh he he heard witches can get to it oh that's cool yeah, yeah so my, he wouldn't pee uh, he wouldn't pee in the toilet he would like pee in a glass and then refrigerate it 
Yeah, my uh, was my best friend. Uh, she just took me to a like Bowie night the other night. But at one point, somewhere I have it on my bookshelf. She gave me a book uh, that is called Yes. She told me that it was David Bowie's uh, favorite book, which is just uh, psychic self-defense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that seemed he was he was he was uh, he was very worried about witches. I think, but I also have a uh, where is it? I also have another book called Bowie's Bookshelf, which I think uh, it doesn't mention psychic self-defense. But I looked up psychic self-defense. And it is uh, no, it's it's definitely out there. I think he must have like denounced how crazy he was at some point because they try to gloss. He it. did, yeah. Well, he de- he did. I mean, that's when uh, he got in some hot water because he uh, he was doing like um, I think they got him doing like a Sig Heil. Oh. Oh, on uh, yeah, he, he he was. You can't call yourself the Thin White Duke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but he he got into some trouble, and he 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 kept talking about fascism, and he was like obsessed with it. But that was just the uh, I think that was just the coke, to be honest. He was a future seer, man. <laughs> he he yeah right. But no, he he did he did denounce he did denounce all that. I think at one point after the Berlin trilogy, that's when he was like, you know what? I got to chill out. I, I, I'm weirding people out. Yeah. I mean, even just having a bunch of Berlin stuff, that doesn't help with that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not talking to a bunch of people that are just way into, not way into, but they're, They'll just be like, ah, oh, the one thing I do have to respect about the Nazis is the fashion. And it's like, what are you doing? Don't do <laughs> it's like, I, I know what you're saying. They had like things put together and they have like that German, like, like uh, after Bauhaus, uh, like there, there is like a design aesthetic, but don't say that. Don't mention the Nazis. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Or people like will be first, like the Nazis, the foundation of yeah. yeah. Or people will be like, say what you want about Hitler; he kept the trains running on time. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, you know where those trains were headed, dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he kept the death trains running on time. That's what we're gonna. I think they would have liked to have been late for that. <laughs> yeah, right. They wouldn't have mind. Like, I'm okay breaking down. Yeah. They were probably hoping for New Jersey transit trains. <laughs> um, <laughs> God damn it. Um, so in between, so I know, I know we were sort of all over the place, but so yeah. after, after Space Oddity, before Hunky Dory, uh, he releases The Man Who Sold the World. So yes. this, this is the album. So d- depending how you look at it, it's his second or third album. I was considered his second. This comes out in 1970. Uh, of course, uh, the song everybody knows would be The Man Who Sold the World, which – and the only reason anybody knows it is because uh, Nirvana covers it on their Unplugged. I mean, I know I – what is it? I guess – I guess I just knew it because, like, uh, it's in our household. In our household, but the um, it's such a pinnacle Bowie song that it's so weird that 
I, I until we talked, I didn't hadn't looked up, and I didn't know that it came out before Hunky Dory. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah, I, I would say it's one of the most Bowie songs. It's you know what's I I I was such a Bowie fan uh, from the time I was thirteen. I've told this story a hundred times, but my brother, like the album that changed my life was uh, my brother gave me a copy of David Live, you know, like where where he sings from the Tower Theater in Philly. Yeah. My brother gave me a copy of that and I, I was 13 and I got high and I put it in my headphones and within 30 seconds, I was like, I've never heard anything like this. This is the coolest shit. And I want to know everything, you know, that, that I it, like it was one of those records that changed my life. And um, so when Nirvana covers The Man Who Sold the World, it's a song that I already knew very well. And I was like, oh, my God, like that's it. so cool. And I just assume that everybody knows the song. But then everybody I talked to was like people didn't even you know, if, if Bowie had if Kurt Cobain hadn't said that they were covering David Bowie. I think most people would have just assumed it was like an unreleased Nirvana song. Um, so many, I remember when, when I remember watching Unplugged, you know, the first time it aired and, and so many of my friends had no idea that that was a Bowie song. Um, so I guess it was, it was more popular in my head than it actually was. Bowie credits Kurt Cobain for reminding him that the song existed. Ha! Huh. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh. What? And then we had a uh, we do you remember the you remember the VJ Kennedy? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, we we had Kennedy on here and she was telling us that Did she go to Fox News? Yeah, she's she's on oh. Yes. And um but uh, we had her on here just talking her MTV years, and she was telling us you know, she was at the taping for the Unplugged, and she finds out. Uh, you just assume that like, oh, Kurt Cobain must have been this huge Bowie fan and loved that song, but the the story behind them covering that is uh, Pat Smear had just joined Nirvana. The uh, their, as their second guitarist, and uh, Kurt Cobain, they're they're looking through uh, Pat's record record collection one day at, before they're getting ready to record, and Kurt says, "Hey, Pat, I know you're a big Bowie fan. Why don't you pick a Bowie song for us to cover?" Hmm. And Pat says, "Oh, I love the man who sold the world." So they're and then Kurt learned it. But uh, yeah, it was that was actually all Pat Smears doing. Well, that's uh, not to jump back to Hunky Dory's, uh, but like, did you ever see that thing about um, Life on Mars having that uh, like a portion of that Sinatra bit in there? Yeah. What What's the? I mean, I know people have compared it, but what's? Oh, that Bowie actually lifts. Uh, what is it called? Like just part of the progression of notes from uh, Sinatra's "My Way" because I think one of the producers, one of the yeah, he part of the composition because 
but we wanted to do like an homage song to a French song called, I can't even pronounce that, but something by uh, Claude Francois mm-hmm. uh, and Jacques Rivois. But like basically one of the uh, producers and composers for Sinatra, like uh, beat him to it and paid more money for that and is uh, kind of like as a small act of reven- revenge uh but we picked it like took part of my way and put it into uh, life on Mars. That's great. I mean, you can almost hear that um, that he's almost crooning that song. Yeah. Um, that I, I actually I don't think I have heard that, but that makes a ton of sense to me. I also think that's one of the uh, best vocal moments that he ever recorded. And um, I was reading, uh, I I was reading, I found a Bowie interview in Rolling Stone from 1972. So it's right after Ziggy Stardust came out. And uh, the reviewer was talking about the live show. And um, he mentions Life on Mars in particular. And he says... um, And Bowie's voice, no more than adequate on the records, is startling on stage. Really? Yeah. And I'm like, (laughs) no more than adequate. This is how, like, he was still, like, if if you were to say now, like, oh, Bowie was just an average singer, you would get laughed out of any serious conversation. Yeah. I mean, I guess... I saw him in concert uh, sometimes that, like, I guess it was so, there were times where it was so, like, uh, tacked up because he was, like, after outside mm-hmm. and after uh, his, his like, drum and I'm bass phase. And yeah. stuff, like, uh, where it got a little nine inch naily, but, like, he, I mean, he definitely belted out. My dad was telling me that he had seen him in the 70s and every time where Bowie was too coked up and couldn't remember all of his own lyrics and had a ton of notes, which I hate to say. Uh, but I guess that was an era, too. Yeah. Well, the the, the, the coked up era was uh, – it was lengthy. That must, that must have been the piss-storing years. Yeah. <laughs> I, I should hope so. Uh, <laughs> if, if it wasn't. He, he had he had real big problems. He couldn't see where his piss was. Where's the Does he have to remember lyrics? Well, they they he 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 claims to have had no recollection of recording the station the station album, uh-huh. which That's which not- is by the you know I I don't do do you, do you so Hunky Dory is your favorite Bowie album. It is, but I, I definitely appreciate all the other ones. I mean, they're all my favorite albums overall. Yeah. Hunky uh, Dory is just the one that personally, because uh, I had, because I had heard everything except for that. I don't know what. Um, and I guess us being like our age is like the, you kind of end up with, like unless you were like growing up when the songs were being released, you kind of just end up with, uh, listening to albums in their form and then sometimes like greatest hits are what you end up yeah. catching 
everywhere. Yeah. Do you, do you remember, uh, do you, like, I remember, so I, I heard that David live and then I went back to my brother and told him like, Hey, that blew my mind. What else do you have? And he gave me Ziggy Stardust and then Ziggy Stardust was for years, my favorite Bowie album. Um, at this point, I've heard it so many times, and, and I think he went on to do much more interesting things. But when I, when I was a kid, when I, when I first started discovering, I wore Ziggy Stardust out. You know, like I just yeah. played it over and over. And then when I played it so many times, I couldn't play it. You know, I couldn't listen to it again. Then my brother gave me Hunky Dory. And then I was like, yeah. And then, and then I just started going through the whole discography. But Hunky Dory, for a long time, was a, my favorite Bowie album too. Like I, yeah, I, I, it 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 changes for me. I think depending on the week. It's it's like my favorite album. But like if somebody asked me to uh, suggest an album to listen to, I it certainly wouldn't be the first one. Uh, if they're if they're looking for like what is the quintessential like Bowie album, uh, I wouldn't it wouldn't be yeah. what I'd go to to point to them. But it's like it's the one that means the most to me. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really good. He it, it's I think it's where um, his his intelligence really starts coming through. You know, there's there's songs on there about Nietzsche and and uh, the occult. Uh, the song "Quicksand" is uh, is one of my favorite Bowie songs. The what is it? There's here. Let me see. The why is that? Why? Uh, it's it just sounded. There's references to the occult, which I didn't even know they were occult references and, until I got older. Oh, Crowley's uniform. Yes, that is very <laughs> occult. Yeah, yeah. That's which the founding of the occult, not yeah. the founding, like good portion. Yeah. Um, and and the lyric, like first off, I, I don't even know how he uh, was able to ever do that song in concert because it's so wordy. Like I, I can't imagine how uh, how he was able to remember them. Yeah, he definitely. And there's just something dark and depressing about that song, and I don't know why I love dark and depressing music, but he's singing in it. Don't believe in yourself, <laughs> which which is just. So against every uh, – anytime anybody's told me about believing in yourself, they're always like, oh, you need to believe in yourself. And then Bowie just came out with this song that was like, don't believe in yourself. And yeah, and the, it's such a like kind of chilling – but just with the way the, like those particular lyrics are structured, where like it, it's – it sounds like it should be uplifting lyrics. Right. I mean no. it's like uh, – almost like kooks when they're just talking about like uh oh things are things are like a little stressful just throw your homework in the trash and hang out with us lover boys <laughs> well yeah well he wrote that song uh for his son so that that's when um his son uh 
Is that Zoe Bowie or is that his, the- his his name was Zoe Bowie? Yeah, he he named him Zoe Bowie. Uh, Mark Bolin, I think, named his son like Nolan Bolin. Like they did Dear it. God. They did it together, and then. Um, Zoe Bowie, I think at some point becomes Joey Bowie, and then he just changes his name. You know, David Bowie's real name is David Jones, and then uh, he – when when the monkeys came out and Davy Jones became popular, yes. David Bowie becomes Bowie. And um, – uh, oh, shit. What was I – Oh, and then his son eventually uh, it, you you might actually know him. He's a filmmaker, uh, Duncan yeah, Jones. Yeah. Duncan Jones now. What was that? Not the movie Moon. Is Moon. it Moon? Yeah, that's a good movie. I that's like a, that. Yeah, that was a really good movie. Um, I didn't know that. Uh, I thought that was a different one of Bowie's sons for some. I guess the name difference, but no. No, uh, the, the, yeah, this is this is what I loved in quicksand. Don't believe in yourself. Don't deceive with belief. Like, don't fool yourself into thinking that. <laughs> and uh, don't believe. Okay, don't believe in yourself. Don't deceive with belief. Knowledge comes with death's release. You're good. I know. Good. As as a 15 year old, I was like, I don't know exactly what he's saying, but I know that makes me feel. Uh, helpless and depressed, and I don't know why that resonates with me. Yeah, it's kind of weird where where it's like if you're singing a bunch of occult stuff, it's like, uh, hey, folks, like, be, remember critical thought, but also uh, join me with death's release. <laughs> <laughs> the fun turn, which which on the same album as uh, Kooks. Which is essentially just uh, like a love song to his new kid, you know, just, yeah. you know, it's so lighthearted and it's almost like a, uh, um, not like a lullaby, but it's like, it's it's a, basically a kid's song. And then um, he does a, uh, a Tiny Tim cover on the album. Fill, fill Your Heart was a Tiny Tim song. I did not know that. That's that's phenomenal. There's the um, there's a chance I just made that up, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to Google it because – but I, I do remember – I'm almost positive I'm right about that. Yeah. It, when, yeah. It's, when he's – the way he sings the word free in that song and he kind of – I don't know. He just sounds like uh, a better-tuned banshee. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So tiny – so that's a tiny Tim. A lot of people don't realize – sounds like tiny Tim yeah. like influence there now that I think about it. A lot of people don't realize uh, there's cover songs on almost every Bowie album. Like he was just as much an interpreter of music. As uh, like an author of it, any on like on like spiders, spiders Mars, from like Mars. Yeah, um, the song. I want to say the song "Star." Okay. 
Star or it was either Star or Hang On To Yourself, but I think it was Star. That would be interesting if Hang On To Yourself was a cover. I do love that song. Um, and then, uh, so I, start, I started to say about the man who sold the world. Yeah. That if you are, uh, if you're a heavy metal fan or like a big Led Zeppelin fan, that's, that's the album to check out. That's, that's his, there, there's some stuff on that album that is like in the vein of, uh, Black Sabbath. Have you seen, uh, I'm a little unclear, the original cover to Man, uh, Man Who Sold the World? With him like in the, the, with him in the dress? See, like, I'm, I'm a bit confused because I looked it up maybe, uh, this was a couple of months ago, but it looked like it was an illustrated cover, uh, here. Oh yeah, yeah. He just re- so they released that after his death. There, the man who sold the world was going to be called something else. But it's a, like an illustrated cover with like a cowboyish looking guy yes. with like a rifle and a bag. Is that was that the original album cover or anything? Oh, here it was. It was originally supposed to be called uh, Metropolist, not Metropolis, but like with a B. Metropolist. Um, I so yeah, I see that cover with. Uh, so they switch the name, so it makes a little, it's a little bit more confusing. But you, yeah, I don't know. I guess that was that was the original plan, and then someone I guess convinced him to call it the man who sold the world, and uh, he is in a dress on the cover, which um, I know caused quite a stir at the time. Um, in fact, I remember, <laughs> I remember my uncle taking my brother and I to a CD shop to get CDs one night. And my brother picked out the man who sold the world and my uncle didn't want to buy it for him because he was like, who's this dude in a dress? He's like, why are you buying this? It's a very conservative dress. It's a very, yeah. He's not showing much skin. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a painting smock. Very, yeah. But, um... There's there are some uh, incredible songs on this album. The the opening song, "The Width of a Circle," which is almost yeah. nine minutes long, that is that's as good as any like uh, Zeppelin, you know, epic song or uh, Ozzy. Let's see. But she shook yeah. me. She shook me cold. It sounds like it could have come right off a Zeppelin album. Like this, this was this was a hard rock band that they had with uh, Mick Ronson. The, but but the original album was the dress. It wasn't yes. the yeah oh, okay. yeah. So, and this illustration was something that they were, they made. They re they, they re released it after his death. I guess that was supposed to be the original name. It kind of reminds that eh, maybe. Do you remember that era in the like late '90s where there was like Bowie.net and he was like, "I own the internet." And that's a terrible Bowie impression. Like, <laughs> but like, like I, I am the internet, and then all of a sudden there was like a bunch of like weird, um, like almost like anime art. Uh, yes. I'm just wondering if it's the art. I don't know. Yeah. Not a ton of great illustrated stuff. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying uh, 
I'm I would have been surprised if it wasn't always the dress. Yeah, no, it, it was. It was originally the dress. Interesting. The and this was back. So like he he had he had come out and said he was bisexual and uh, he got all the backlash for that. They uh, the song John, I'm only dancing again. Yeah. Uh, John, I'm only dancing. Not again. That's a different song. John, I'm only dancing was um, blacklisted from tons of radio stations. They wouldn't give it any airplay because they didn't know if he was singing about dancing with a dude. The um, was it the song? Man who sold the world. Super the Superman. That song has always confused me. Yeah. I mean, it's fun, but like, just kind of as always felt like, uh, like a Superman sequel catch song. I don't know. No, I always thought it was like, um, yeah, I always felt a little out of place. Yes. Uh, you wonder if, if that was, you know, if it would have. Oh, that was the man who sold the world. I thought that was on a... Yeah, but there's also... Um, there's a song on the man who sold the world uh, called Running Gun Blues. Yeah. Which is about... Uh, he, he's, he is... Um, it's sung from the point of view of a soldier... I, I want to say in Vietnam, but I guess it's possible it was World War II. And he's like a bloodthirsty soldier, and it's just about him. Uh, I, I'm I'm quoting I'm quoting from the song, but it, it's it's about killing gooks. Yeah, yeah, like but it's it it would not it would not fly today, but it's it, that was also like a really odd. Song in his catalog. He 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 was he was pretty obsessed, I think, with like murder and death early on. Um, he definitely. But when he sings like "I slash him cold, I kill him dead," he doesn't sing it like a killer. <laughs> no, it just sounds like if you weren't paying attention to the lyrics, it just sounds like a fun rock song. Yeah, and that's that is. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that the. I almost read the – I broke the word you said. The uh, – I almost thought it was just a silly word, but that is a slur. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, no. It's – it's. he's talking about I, – I think I, – I assume it's Vietnam, but he, he's talking – it's like I always pictured he's singing from the point of view of an American soldier. Yeah, he did get fascinated by America. Yeah. I mean, well – I think that happens to to everybody when they get here. You leave a place, something happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, but so Hunky Dory is not the uh, – it, it's critically very well received. Um, it doesn't – it doesn't even chart in America. It doesn't – like you, like Changes was a minor hit. Yeah, the album itself didn't chart, um, and it's not until Ziggy Stardust is released uh, the next year 
that then people go back to Hunky Dory. So yeah, Hunky yeah. Dory on. sells very well after Ziggy Stardust. Yeah, like Hunky Dory, I mean, I think the – like once in a while I'll hear somebody sheepishly sing uh, – was it Life on Mars yeah. in karaoke? And it, is, it always feels like everyone, it's a deep cut, um, but it's not the, uh, it wasn't like his powerhouse album. It is very interesting to me that you can have albums come out that make you retroactively more successful. Yeah. Like yeah. that's cool. Well, look at like, uh, I mean, that happens. I feel like that happens a lot. Like, um, uh, Who was I was just reading about it. It may have been like it was like a boy band, like New Kids on the Block put out an album or two that went nowhere and then Hanging Tough came out and then the other albums started selling, you know, like right off the shelves. Yeah, whatever it is where uh was it the Zeitgeist or like the right time or whatever or yeah. like I guess pre uh pre-computerized algorithm whatever the actual social human algorithm is where like if it hits and it picks up like it's not like these people have changed uh non-stop but like apparently nothing's uh good enough to bring back the songs uncle arthur and love you till tuesday <laughs> <laughs> like, he he would he would need a pretty big hit album at that like when you think uh that he had that string of, you know, Ziggy Stardust, Aladdin Sane, Diamond Dogs. Yeah. And then he goes into, uh, you know, Station to Station and then the Berlin Trilogy. So he had he had seven or eight albums in a row that um, uh, flew off the shelves, you know, and, and, yeah. and uh, still nobody went back far enough to – to that first album. How much later was Diamond Dogs? Just even the song Diamond Dogs. Diamond Dogs was probably, if I had to guess, I, I would say it's probably 74 would be my guess. Yeah, because I just the lyrics from that are, uh, let's see. Well, you, you know the story behind that album? Uh, may, go on. No. He he was um, he was yeah seventy four. He wanted to do a concept album of nineteen eighty four, um, yes. and or or oh. Orwell's estate wouldn't give him permission. He wanted to make it an album and a stage show. That he would tour and then I think turn it into a musical, maybe. Is that what that Tina Turner 1984 thing is then? Yeah. So the the song on there's songs on Diamond Dogs. I mean, there's a song called 1984. Yeah, yeah. I just it's uh I mean he does it, but like there's I just heard I just saw a drag queen sing a Tina Turner version. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, Tina Turner did it, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, and then there's like if you listen to like uh, Sweet Thing and Candidate, if you listen to the lyrics on that, it's very Orwellian. Like it's very about um, uh, lovers 
who are scared to be caught by somebody. You know, like the, 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 like love is almost to leave. So there's a very paranoid, coked up, big brotherish feel to that whole album. Uh, but Orwell's Widow, after the movie 1940, 1984 came out, and it was such a terrible movie, she wouldn't license it to anybody. So it wasn't that Bowie would have just laid naked across the album cover <laughs> one way or another. That wasn't. I don't think that came into play. It was just she was so disappointed with the movie that that she made up her mind that nobody was ever going to get a shot at it again. I'm looking at um, I'm looking at the Diamond Dogs album cover. Is that shirtless Iggy Pop as a stunt torso? Yeah, it probably is. It kind of looks like uh, that weird. That weird wiry, uh, I don't know. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, I didn't know Bowie was allowed to have any muscles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that looks like uh, that may that may have been. They may have thrown him on Iggy's Iggy's body. They may have thrown Bowie's head on Iggy's body. Um, but yeah. So if you listen to, I mean, look, there's songs on. Diamond Dogs, the uh, 1984 goes right into Big Brother. Yeah, that's not. Too, that's just a what, three years later. Yeah. yeah, but that's a huge jump from Hunky Dory. Yes, I mean purposely a little bit getting all sci-fi, but right. Well, I think he was intentionally. Oh, and and you know what I forgot? Uh, so Aladdin saying, "Wait, listen, listen to this run. This is." Uh, Man Who Sold the World, 70. Hunky Dory, 71. The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust, Spiders from Mars, 72. Aladdin Sane, 73. Pinups, which uh, is him with that same Spiders from Mars band doing all covers of uh, British invasion bands that they loved. Yeah. Uh, Pinups comes out the same. It's the same band as Aladdin Sane. Pinups is one of the best cover albums. You'll I love ever that song, Rosalind. Mm -hmm. uh, Diamond Dogs, 74. Young Americans, 75. Station to Station, 76. Low, 77. Heroes, 77. And then finally, Lodger comes out in 79. So. See, see what you can do when witches aren't destroying your place. <laughs> <laughs> that I mean, that's as that's as incredible a run, and those are all you know in their own rights, very classic albums. Um, well, is it? Let's see, Lodger, and then he, he didn't have any uh, flops around. The, I don't – he doesn't have a flop until uh, – He doesn't slow down. Yeah. He doesn't – you know, so after Lodger, Scary Monsters and Super Creeps comes out oh, yeah, in that's, 80. That's right back up. Which yeah. is – a lot of people consider it like his last classic album, but I'm, I'm actually a very big fan of late era Bowie, and I, I think he had more ahead of him. But Scary Monsters was uh, – I mean, you can make the the argument could be made that's his best album. Um, then I he mean, takes the two versions of that song 
too. Uh, oh, um, they're both great. It's no game. Yeah. Or it's no game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Two versions that like I enjoy both versions for very different reasons. Yes. Yeah. And then, uh, and then he takes a two-year break, a two-year break after Scary Monsters, and decides he wants to make a commercial dance record, and uh, calls up uh, Niles Rogers from Chic, and uh, makes Let's Dance, and and becomes one of the biggest stars of the '80s. But he doesn't. He doesn't have like a commercial flop really until uh, I don't think tonight or never let me down sold very well compar- comparatively. Yeah, I don't know if I. And then he goes in the tin machine and loses just about his entire audience. Yeah, the tonight. I'm trying to check if there's if there are songs on there. I read. Tonight had tonight had blue jean. Which which was the big hit single? Um, Tonight had "Loving the Alien," which is a great oh. song. It's not recorded well. Like I don't love the album version, but he he uh, he, he does some live versions of that, which are much starker and stripped down. That I like a lot. But tonight also has. Maybe the worst cover of anybody I've ever heard anyone do. He does, uh, Bowie does God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> which, I, is, I, which is a song that I love. Uh, and I love Bowie's interpretations of other people's music, but that was a, that one was a big whiff. I think, I think he rushed too fast to follow up Let's Dance. And the material wasn't nearly as good. It's made up. The the album is on a nine song album. I think there's two or three Iggy Pop covers, like nightclubbing or uh... no. I, I mean, he, um, Wait, neighborhood. He does neighborhood threat tonight and don't look down. That's uh, three. That's a third. A third of a nine-song album are is Iggy Pop covers. Let's see the what is Sound and Vision. Uh, I was okay, a bo- that I was a box set. But that song, because uh, you were bringing up um, how life in on Mars, how uh, Bowie kind of croons it out. Sound and Vision is where I think he really is like. For whatever reason, that song, it always just hits me how, like, beautifully he croons in that. Yeah. Where there's that big, uh, where he just switches uh, modes so quick there. Uh, it, it's kind of like in the song uh, Golden Years, where all of a sudden he, like, starts to croon and sings really fast for yeah. that little break in there. We know who he wrote Golden Years for? I actually just learned this. And then when I when I learned it, and then you're, like, trying to hear it in their voice, I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Uh, he wrote Golden Years for Elvis. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I just saw a video of uh, Elvis singing... Uh, with Sinatra, and it was kind of fun to watch him like exchange songs and try to sing. But that reminds me of uh, Have you ever seen that little Christmas thing where it's uh, Bowie and uh, Bing, Bing Crosby? Yeah, of course. Singing Little Drummer Boy. Yes. Bowie is uh, completely coked out of his mind. 
Well, no, Bing, Bing dies like just a couple weeks after they film that. Well, he must have really beat his wife that day. <laughs> Bing, they should have called him Bang Crosby. Yeah, that guy did not. Uh, well, for how like, uh, like like sweet and chill they made him seem, apparently not. Yikes. Yeah, not so much. Um, yeah, but so Mark, yeah, he, Mark Bolin had died in a car accident like a couple days before they filmed that. And then Bing Crosby died. Which had to have been adding to Bowie's paranoia that all these people around him kept. He was like, I'm probably not storing enough of my urine. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, but, well, I mean, what is it? Yeah, even there's that, that hunky dory. Oh, which song is it where he's tr- like a cautionary lyric about watch out, you old rockers? Uh, that changes. Yeah, it changes. Yeah. I mean, that's like, uh, it happened to him. Yeah. Also, you, you brought up Sound and Vision. That is, it's, I love that song because it it sounds, the music is so happy and it's so uplifting, but the song is all about depression and not being able to even leave your room because you're so sad. See, like that that's something where uh, maybe this is contradictory to his Andy Warhol uh, lyrics of being bored of watching paint, but I always just imagine him really liking the color blue. His <laughs> room. <laughs> but that's yeah. me putting too much into it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, the, it's the, much of myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all about it's it's about depression. And if you want to hear, if you're listening and you want to hear um, the best example of Bowie crooning. Yeah. Uh, like this actually could have been like I listened to it and I'm like, oh, Sinatra could have sang that for sure. There is you have to look it up. It it was originally supposed to be on Young Americans and then got left off the album for some reason. Um, and I never understood why, because the album only has eight songs on it. But there's a song called It's Going to Be Me. Oh, that. Uh, do you know that song? It's ringing a chord, actually. Yeah. um, That song sounds like Bowie straight up uh, doing a Sinatra song. And it's got that, like, kind of, uh, um, oh, God, what's that song? Like in the wee-wee hours, like that Sinatra era kind of song. If you're listening and you want to hear hear Bowie croon— if you want to see what direction he could have gone in if he didn't decide to become like the biggest weirdo uh, who ever yeah, lived. Like, that, like that, if he was around 15 years later and hopped on that trench. Yeah. Or 15 years earlier. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. But that's also uh, never made it to an album and is, is in my top probably two or three Bowie songs of all time. So... Oh, I just saw the time. Eric, you and I have been talking about Bowie for a long time. Yeah, it's great. I'm starting to hop around so much. I feel like I just uh, like I just know tidbits. I'm going to look up more of because like, it's fascinating. Thank you for talking to me about all this stuff. 
Yeah, no, thank you for coming on. Um, do you have uh, you have anything you want to plug? Where can people find you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I just have uh, – I guess the easiest is to, like, umbrella cover things is my website, uh, just ericbergstrom.com, which is E-R-I-K-B-E-R-G-S-T-R-O-M.com. But, like, I have um, – I have an album out called Serious Goose, uh, or you can see my Comedy Central half hour through like, uh, I guess it's Paramount Plus is what you can watch it easiest on now. Um, and then I guess every, I do shows all the time, but like I, every Friday I do a show in uh, in Brooklyn called Live From Outer Space. Uh, oh, is that, with, and, uh, is that with Micah? Yeah, with Micah Fox and yeah. John Fodaddle and uh, Max Bruno. Uh, it's a place called Cobra Club. Uh, we've been doing it for nine years, so it's it's fun every Friday, 9 p.m. Uh, I should plug that. And uh, yeah, otherwise, I'm just trying to build up things on TikTok, uh, which uh, which is just my name, Eric Bergstrom. But I actually, small aside, I find it fascinating, like because um, it was a Bowie plays uh, Andy Warhol in that film Basquiat, and then they have that whole line uh, like when Basquiat and uh, I think it's Antonio Banderos. No, I'm mixing someone up where they're playing basketball and they're talking about how you have to like make things uh, all in like to get a fan base, but you have to make them again and again and start making the same things. Not unlike they were worried about David Bowie uh, changing again, but like building up a fan base by making things that are similar, kind of like TikTok. Uh, encourages you to do but then that same thing where Bowie plays Andy Warhol and there's that whole 15 minutes of fame like someday we're all going to have that and I just it kind of really makes me uh, those two things really make me think about where we are as of uh, like social media now where it's like everybody gets a little bit in uh, and you got to keep making the same things again and again but I like how Bowie didn't necessarily do that by just kind of riding the wave yeah, I I, I always I always like that. Yeah, because um, you're able to have longevity without people uh, getting sick of what you're doing, and uh, he never rested on his laurels. And yeah, he didn't. He didn't care. He reached a point, I think, right right at Tin Machine. Where he stopped caring if the radio was going to play him. He stopped caring about MTV. He stopped caring about having hit singles. And he decided he just wanted to make the music that he found interesting. Maybe I got to get more into Tin Machine because that was like, I think that's like the one thing that uh, I guess me and my dad disagree with on Bowie. But I've never given it the proper. Give that first album. The second album in my, a lot of people say the second album was better. I thought the first, to me, the first album was the first album of his where he actually does predict a trend instead of seizing on one that other people didn't know about. If you listen to Tim Machine, I honestly believe that the blueprint for grunge music is all in that album. And really? It was 89. It had to have been a good, you know, two years, two, three years before you started hearing about grunge. But it's it's all heavy guitar. It's not a lot of melody. It's not a lot of hooks. 
Was it a super band, was it? It was him and a, a brilliant guitar player named Reeves Gabrell, who I've, I've desperately been trying to get on this show. Um, he, he is now in, I want to say he's now in The Cure or The Cult. I always get them confused. I think he's in The Cure now. And then the rhythm section was Tony and Hunt Sales, who were Soupy Sales's kids. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, the old comedian Soupy Sales. Yeah. And they were the rhythm section. They also played on those Iggy albums that Bowie produced, you know, during the Berlin trilogy. They they played on uh, Lust for Life. Um, so he, he formed a band with them. They went out. They wouldn't play any Bowie songs. He wanted to start over from scratch. And so he formed a band and tried putting the hits behind him and he was going to forge ahead and, and start something brand new. There is, um, yeah, there was something every time I saw him in concert, I do remember one thing, which was like for the song heroes, he'd always toss a couple of different lyrics in there each time. And it was different each time. Uh, I forget what exactly, but he'd switch up things to try new lyrics in that song in specific a lot. Yeah. Well, I like that because he, he was probably just getting bored, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I, I feel the same way as a comic. I mean, I can't relate with playing, you know, he would play the same song thousands of times. I, I tell the same joke 20 times and I'm like, oh, my God, if I, I can't listen to myself do it again. So I I, 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 I got to play with it. Yeah, I got to I got to play with it. Let me try it this way. Let me try saying this. You got to keep it fresh for yourself. But um, get into the excited about the diets in between and stuff. Yeah, I'm getting the uh, I'm getting the wrap it up signal. But uh, Eric, thank you so much oh, for no, coming no. on. Yes, Hope yeah. you had fun. Uh, I we that was that was Bowie's. I had a blast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for doing it. Thanks for uh, I I wouldn't have put out a new episode this week if I hadn't heard from you. So thank you. And um, yeah, go uh, go follow Eric on uh, social media give his album a listen uh i would love to have you back on sometime let's and, do weird out <laughs> you know my my co-host isn't here uh today but chip has chip is chip wants to do a weird owl episode that'd be so, amazing there's um, the song albuquerque that's 13 minutes long uh <laughs> I, it's what i think my favorite song of his um, we will, uh, I'll touch, I'll touch base with you about that. And, uh, that's it. Chris, you got anything you, you need to plug? Nope. All good. All right, everybody. See you next week. All right, Eric. Recording thank, stopped. Thank you so much. Thank but you I, for having me. Started to jump all over the place. Uh, but.